Hello, hello, and welcome to another podcast episode of Overpowering Emotions, where I talk all things anxiety and big emotions, emotion regulation, how we can support our children, our teens, our young adults, our old adults, everyone. I do focus mostly on teens, but today we are talking about teens and young adults and how we can look for signs for depression and stress and suicidality. So I have a special guest joining me today. I'm very excited to have him here. Elliot Kellen um, is talking about his experience and he started a charity It's called A Brighter Day, and they aim to stop teen suicide by educating teens and their parents about mental disorders, and they provide resources that they can use to reach out and communicate when depression and stress are affecting either their own lives or the people around them, people that they love. And they've actually helped thousands of teens and the parents deal with mental health issues while still allowing them to retain their privacy and their dignity. And Elliot is actively involved in several other nonprofit organizations, all to save teen lives. So I'm very excited, honored to have him here to chat with us today. Well, hello, Elliot. Thank you so much for joining me on my show today. Thank you, Carolyn. Great to be here. Yeah, I'm very excited to have you here as well. So why don't we kick off first by you just telling us a little bit about yourself and your organization? I love to, and thanks again. So I, A Brighter Day is the name of the charity. Uh, we deal with teenage stress and depression uh, where we help teens and their parents with the goal of stopping suicide. And we started this in 2015. So the brief history is in January of 2015, my son, not on drugs, not on alcohol, age 19 at the University of Montana, walked up to the highway at one in the morning and jumped in front of an ongoing truck and oncoming truck. And next day we were frantically looking for him because his phone was turned off and no teenager turns off their phone. Mm -hmm. And at 6.30 at night, Federal Express showed up with a six page suicide note. And in the first paragraph, it rambled for a while, but in the first main paragraph, it said, mom and dad, I've been thinking about this for a long time. I never would have told you how I felt. I never would have asked for your help, and I never would have taken your help. Wow. And so we had to go up to Montana to claim his body the next morning and did everything. The university did a great job with them. They retired his number on the hockey team. They, they, were, they were very nice and cordial and, and open arms to us. And on the way back, I just kept reading that paragraph over and over. And I knew at that moment we needed to do something because we want to stop other families from feeling this destruction. Since we were parents that didn't know what was going on, how many other parents were feeling that way? And we decided we would start a charity at that moment. Literally day two, day three of the event, we start, We decided to start a charity. Our first thought was, let's help teenagers by getting them resources, written resources that they can read. Um, social media wasn't quite as powerful at that moment that it, like it is today. Mm-hmm. And we took an old concept of Battle of the Bands, music-based, and reinvented it called Teen Band Showcase. And we had teen bands playing for teens. <clears throat> and at these concerts, we gave out backpacks filled with resources, written resources that we wrote on stress and depression. And we're original creators of these resources. But there are plenty of them on the internet. You don't need just us. Right. And we gave out about two to 3,000 backpacks in the first four or five years. And then COVID hit. And we had to reinvent ourselves. 
and we turned it to a virtual program called Teen Talent Showcase, kind of like America's Got Talent. And we had 14,000 people watch the very first episode. Wow. And, but, and we, we liked that, but we could not figure out how many of them actually went to our website to get resources. And we didn't like that feeling. So we thought, well, let's really put a lot of emphasis and effort into the website and social media and driving people to our resources. So we now, and we've been doing that for a while, we have two times a month, a newsletter that goes out, primarily written for parents on all the things about you should know about stress, anxiety, depression, and, and stopping suicide. We have a teen survival toolkit that teens can load, download, and that's being advertised on Instagram and TikTok for teens. Uh, and basically that's, are you feeling this way? Have you ever felt this way? Have you talked to your parents? Things like that. Um, and then we took that to another level and thought, okay, our resources, and you know, because Carolyn, you know that some teens, some parents are going to read things. Some are going to need to speak to people. Some are going to need, it's, it's no different than we're all made up. One's more tactile, one more is auditory, one more is visual and, and so forth. So the resources are more visual obviously for teens and parents yeah. and they're passive because you can read them all day long. And if you don't take any action, it was, they were exceptionally passive, thorough and complete, but passive. Mm -hmm. So we thought we need to do something better than that. And so we instituted uh, a 24 seven 50 state texting program in the United States where a teen, anybody over the age of 12, anybody could text to a number bright, the word brighter, B R I. G-H-T-E-R to 741-741. And within five minutes, they will receive a text back and can engage in a conversation up to 45 minutes. And for somebody like that, like my son, he would have loved that because at midnight when he was awake with sleeping pattern disorder, he could have texted. And I know it, his number one would, question would have been, because that's the number one question of teens, am I the only one feeling this way? Mm -hmm. But that, again, that doesn't work for everybody either. <clears throat> so we did a joint venture with BetterHelp in all 50 states. And you can get within seven days, a Zoom program with a live state licensed counselor, uh, in all, again, in all 50 states, <clears throat> to talk to somebody live. Um, and the nice part about that is if your child's in crisis, in the US, it takes six to 10 weeks to make an appointment yeah. with a counselor. If your child's thinking about suicide, that's a lifetime. Yeah. That's yeah. not good. It's too long. And you could blame the system and you could blame medical. doesn't matter. The reality on the ground is it takes too long. Now we've got a way to cut that down to a week, which yeah. is really good. And then we, as a charity, after speaking to BetterHelp, we realized they said that the average team Zoom program is four sessions. <laughs> so we now pay for the first four sessions. Okay. Because that is a fee. Because yeah. counselors are here to make money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we've got these programs going on passive, lots of newsletters, no advertising, texting, and now Zoom. That's fantastic. And it, it's actually interesting. Um, I had no idea that you were behind all of this because I just did a summit not too long ago within mm -hmm. the past few months on mental health, depression, <laughs> suicide, mental health for teens. 
And I had to look for resources for, it was a global, so it wasn't just, I'm in Canada. Um, So I had to look for Canadian resources, American resources. And I actually put those programs, the texting and the BetterHelp um, resources as as some of the resources. So that's quite funny. I had well, they are, and it's, it's, the website has all this on there. It's abrighterday.info. There's no advertising. There's no something from Pfizer, nothing on there at all. Right. It's just a resource page. All these are listed on there and they can go back and they can see podcasts and they can read articles. They can sign up for a newsletter, whatever they want to do, and they'll never get an ad for anything. Okay, fantastic. And I'll have that in the show notes as well. But wow, what a journey. I mean, that's my, I have a 15 year old daughter and it's terrifying. And I know that she's struggling, just all the stressors that kind of compound, you know, it's not just one thing, it's just so much stress. And I talk about how these Gen Zs and alphas are the most stressed generation out of any generation in history. A lot of it has to do with social media and screens and access to this sort of crisis saturated world. But For parents, and I have a lot of professionals who listen, what are some of those signs to look out for when there could be a teen or young adult who's feeling depressed, maybe even suicidal? You know, that's a great question. Obviously, that's my number one asked question is what are the symptoms here? And I want to clarify that by saying not every symptom is a sign of depression. For instance, if a child isn't eating right, that could be a sign of depression, but it also could be an eating disorder mm-hmm. and it might be different. But the number one sign is generally some form of withdrawal. They withdraw socially, they withdraw from friends, they withdraw from family. Uh, we're into the holiday season, so we just have Thanksgiving down here. Yeah. They'll, they'll spend the least amount of time at the table because they don't really want to be around anybody. Christmas would be no different than that. They just don't want to be around anybody. They'll cancel plans with friends. They'd rather be alone. And they'll use some excuse to you saying, well, Mary, Jimmy, they're always busy when I call them. Or, but really, they're not reaching out at all. They're telling everybody they're not available. Mm-hmm. So withdrawal from family is a big thing. And there's a way to get around that. But that's number one. And then with the second part is they're going to withdraw from the classes and the school that they don't like. So for instance, your daughter's 15. Mm-hmm. Let's say she's struggling in chemistry. Does she have chemistry at 15? Bio, bio. She hates bio. Hates bio. <laughs> well, she can work herself through bio and maybe end up with a grade that's okay because she just doesn't like it. She's not going to, or she can withdraw and stop going to class with her best friend. The two of them hang out in the hallway a lot. You won't know the difference until it's too late. Yeah. And that's a form of withdrawal. I give up on things that I'm not good at or things that I don't like. And those are really important for you as a parent that you need to know. So those are all different forms of withdrawal. And this right. next part of what they're going to do is they're going to get sick and not want to go to school and not want to go to class and not want to be part of things. Again, in some form, that is a withdrawal too. I just want to be alone. Can you just, mom, can you just leave me alone and get off my back? Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean anything bad because teens are like cavemen or cave women. They don't always know how they're feeling. They don't understand it. Boys are relatively non-communicative compared with girls. Even, even my son, who's got two PhDs, uh, I have to remind him to not answer me monosyllabically. I've earned the right <laughs> to get polysyllabic words from him. Yeah. But it's very normal. But again, answering you monosyllabically, how's your day? Fine. Fine. Yeah. It doesn't make him depressed. It just makes him uncommunicative. But if you don't know what's going on, you can't pull that curtain back and you don't have the skills to do that. 
or you've got you're a working you're yourself a working mom you're doing the show and if your spouse is working and then you got to put dinner on the table and you got to schlep them a million places because they got there's no time for dinner there's no time for communication anymore weeks could go by before you just you're downright exhausted mm-hmm. you know you don't, you don't want to engage tonight on what's going on with your daughter though you should because you're so busy and you can't wait for dinner to be over to get on to your stuff. Right. And that's very normal in, in society nowadays. Yeah, unfortunately. Unfortunately, but it is true. And with the withdrawal, this is, would you say it's new withdrawal that's more, because if you already have a kid who's withdrawn, you know, I'm just thinking my daughter is ADHD. So she's got a social battery about, you know, an inch big. That's, it's not very much. She's just exhausted and wants to withdraw even on a holiday. So would it be a new pattern that's not exactly that? Yeah. So Carolyn, look, you're a smart person and the parents that are listening to you and the the educators and the professionals that are listening to you, probably 99 to 9% of them want to do a really good job as a parent or give great advice to a parent and parents Mm -hmm. want to do a good job. There's always the the parents that can't, don't, won't and all that stuff, but most people do. So look for new patterns. I mean, maybe they've never been much of an eater. My brother, for instance, my mother's complaint about him was he nibbled his whole life. He just always nibbled when she cooked. Me, I was a clean plate guy. I'm 50 pounds heavier than my brother. <clears throat> it, it wouldn't matter. But so that's not a change in pattern for him. Mm-hmm. Be a nibbler. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I remember my son, who's not with us anymore. He suddenly got thin on me. I'm like, well, what's going on here? I don't know. I don't know. I said, well, we can start eating or I got to get you some help. And, and they started to eat again because they didn't want to get help. Right. So change in pattern. And even his friends told me that when he was at school, when they felt terrible for not recognizing this, not and it wasn't their fault, was that he was asleep when they were awake and they were awake when he's asleep. So we had a sleeping pattern change where he was now awake from 12 to 3, but asleep from 4 to 7. Right. And that's not good. Yeah. Yeah. There's no regulating emotions, feeling good. Nothing, nothing is good. Yeah. When your sleep's off. Yeah. So if, if you are worried, you know, about a kiddo, when would, this is for the parents out there, when would be a good time to start seeking help and not just hoping things get better or hoping that it's just a phase they'll grow out of? (laughs) Well, let me back up for a moment and and give some advice on how they can find out if their child needs help, Mm -hmm. because it is a gray line. And so when parents are really busy, like you are and my wife, everybody's busy nowadays, busier than ever, not even counting social media. We're just busy. What we've done is we've taken away dinner for most families. I happened in my family, whatever you want to blame it on helicopter parenting, homework, after school activities, dinner is almost gone out of most families. So the first thing you need to do is bring dinner back because dinner is the, is the main communicative communication meal of the day. And you've got to bring it back without cell phones at the table. You've got to make it a cell phone free dinner. And that might mean putting those cell phones in a basket, no texting, no calling grandma on FaceTiming, none of that stuff, no exceptions to the rule here at all. We just from six to seven, six thirty to seven, seven to seven, whatever your time is, it's cell phone free. <clears throat> and then you as a parent have to do a little probing. As annoying as you're going to be perceived, 
you have to do some probing. And that probing could be what's your favorite class? What's your least favorite class and why? How's your best friend Mary doing and why? Because you might find a Mary, like you just said, biology, she's not doing well in biology either. And that's your daughter's best friend. So the two of them have tag team and paired up and maybe not even showing up to class now. Again, that's what I, so you want to know what's going on. The why is so important. And dinner is where you're going to discover that. So on the website, we put a whole series of questions together for parents. And they're on a, they're in the internet too, that you can ask your child. And yes, you're going to be annoyed. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, my mother used to have a phrase that she said to me, better you cry than I cry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So be annoying. It's okay. Yeah. yeah. The next, If that doesn't work, then taking a drive anywhere, whether it's to practices or home or to grandma's house, Make that radio free, take out the earbuds, take away the texting and the Snapchat and the Instagram and take all that stuff away for that 20 minute or 40 minute or even 15 minute drive and just ask questions and talk. Mm-hmm. Those, are, those are the two top ways to engage with your team is either at dinner and it doesn't have to be every night. It could be a few times a week, even once a week, if that's the best you could do but engage. And then when you're driving and you know, you and I as parents, we become glorified taxi drivers. For yep. Our kids. yep. <laughs> so that is a great time to do that. And I could tell you yeah. that my son who died, sometimes I, I'm looking back at it and I sometimes he played ice hockey and he, we went to a lot of tournaments because he played travel hockey. And sometimes he just stared at the window. And I just thought he was engaged in thinking. Now, looking back at it, there were probably pretty negative thoughts and depression. Right. But I didn't see it then. Whether I chose to not see it, or I didn't have the tools to see it, or I certainly didn't understand it, or even believe it. Yeah. It was what it was. He was withdrawing. I think we fall into that. Oh, it's just hormones. They're just teenagers. Right. And, and that's a dangerous hill to go down. And I do love the driving, driving and walking, because when we're side by side, the pressure of needing to make eye contact and processing, it just kind of creates a safer environment. So I find that that can be really helpful just sitting side by side, even if it is at dinner, sometimes that can be really helpful versus, you know, in front of each other. Um, so what are some strategies, you know, if, if parents were going to support, I mean, creating those open pathways of communication, is there anything else that parents can do if they see that their kids in the moment are really upset about something or withdrawn? Yeah. So also one more thing before that, even find out how their friends are doing. Yes. Friends are. Make sure you know who their friends are. My mother, as annoying as she was, and she was annoying, she made a point of saying, who are your two or three best friends? Then she would call their parents up just to introduce herself and mm-hmm. say, I, your son, my son was telling me that you and Rich are great friends. Uh, your daughter, your son, Rich, are great friends. I just want to introduce myself and give you my phone number in case you never, ever need to reach out. Now, yeah. I found that the most annoying thing in the world. <laughs> she was right. Yeah. She was just saying, if you're going to be like your friends, I want to know more about your friends. Mm-hmm. We actually had um, my daughter's best friend's parents call us up and invite us over. I couldn't be there. I was out of town. So we did a Zoom, but my husband went and yeah, it really does make a difference. It does. It does. Now, what can you do as a parent when you realize something's off? Mm -hmm. Just, and and you don't want to overreact. 
And if you confront your teen, you may not get an answer anyway, because my son, I would say, are you okay? And he'd say, I'm fine, dad. What's the big deal? So he didn't want to share anything. But you, you have a few ways you can go. You could certainly provide your teen a text, the text hotline like we just talked about, because they could do that on their own. And that's important to them that maybe they're the kind of person like my son would have been to use the text hotline. Certainly a Zoom program, you're now into the next level of getting them counseling. In the United States, school counselors are not really prepared to deal with this. Same here. They, yeah. they might not even know a referral program. Certainly a pediatrician is more prepared for this, hopefully, and, and knows a few child psychologists or maybe even child psychiatrists if you get to that point. But I would reach out to everybody. If I'm a parent, I'm reaching out to every place I can reach out looking for answers and solutions. And I'm going to websites and I'm reading. You've got to find a way to not threaten your child, not have your child feel threatened, which might aren't isn't the same thing, yet not ignore it because that's a ticking time bomb. Mm -hmm. And that's a balancing act. Yeah, absolutely. I know it's been hard. It, we've definitely seen an increase and it's actually worse now that COVID is, you know, quote unquote over just the after effect of COVID. But even just this past month, the amount of times we've had to call an ambulance has been unbelievable. Um, it's quite distressing and the, and the kids are distressed and, and they feel, you know, they say, I wish I didn't say anything. I wish I didn't talk to you or, or to parents. I wish I didn't admit, you know, and it's like, oh man, we were, we, but we got to save you. Yeah. You have it's to do so that. Is it no different than saying I'm an alcoholic? Okay. I love my alcohol. I love my wine. I love my whiskey, whatever you, you like. And just finally fessing up to the fact, you know, I have a problem. Mm -hmm. It's hard to get humans to admit that we can't do it as adults very well. Why would they do it as teens any better? Right. But that's your job as a parent and you want to be a good parent. You don't want to overreact and say you're in for counseling. That's just how it is. But you don't want to ignore it because maybe they really should be in for some form of having a conversation. Yeah, absolutely. One thing that I've done with both of my girls is a journal where I, I'll ask questions in it about them that they wouldn't normally, they would just say, yeah, everything's good. It's fine. Nothing. You know, they don't give big answers. Um, they usually don't ever answer my questions, even in the journal. However, sometimes they will write in that journal and it's an open way of communication of saying, I was really stressed out today, or you pissed me off with this. The rule with the journal is though, we cannot talk about it. Unless there is, and I do have an explicit rule, like unless you say you're going to kill yourself, you know, someone's going to be hurt, you're going to be hurt, then then we're going to talk about it. But otherwise, you can write whatever you want in this, and I will never, ever talk about it, even if it's so angering and upsetting or, but that's the rule, just to create that safety, because oftentimes parents respond in really punishing ways, even when we're just trying to help, we're trying to be supportive and give advice. It's usually a big eye roll, right? It's just not what's helpful for them in the moment. And so giving that open communication can be quite helpful, usually. Um, so that's one thing that I often give, especially those kiddos who just don't ever open up about anything, right? Well, you mentioned a good, a good phrase there. As parents, when you ask questions as a parent and you're inquiring and you're digging and you're annoying, you also want to be non-judgmental. Absolutely. Because they, if they feel safe, they're going to tell you a lot more than if they don't. Absolutely. And so that's, that's a really important thing here. 
and fear that you're going to be judgmental too. So I think that there's some seeds that we have to plant even before that, because even that dude chores, like, why haven't you done your chores again? Right. There's just some punishing aspect of that, that, okay, here I go again. I haven't done something else that I'm supposed to do. So I think, yeah, there's some seeds that we have to plant before then. Um, what about, uh, are there things that parents can be doing, uh, just to help their kiddos build self-confidence? That's a hard thing to do, yeah. but yes, but it doesn't start at 17 years old. Right. It starts at five or seven or 10. <clears throat> I went to, when we were looking at having children back decades ago, um, we went to a seminar and the child psychologist was talking about having kids and raising kids. That's what it was about. And he, he mentioned a comment about girls. He said, you know, girls in the United States are terrible at going on to the worlds of math. It's an exception. Of course, it's getting a lot better every day for, for young girls going into engineering and math. And he said, the problem is the parents, not the children, is that when girls in about third or fourth grade begin to realize that math is a little harder than the way their brain works, the non-space, because they're far better at things like English than boys are, just in general. And these are big, broad statements anyway, mm -hmm. not specifically true. <clears throat> we as parents let the daughters check out of math. They mentally check out and they never get back in. So instead, but if that was your son, you'd put him in math made easier, math gymnasium or whatever you're going to do to help them out. But your daughter, like, ah, they're good with writing. They'll get beyond math. They're never going to do it anyway. <clears throat> That's not good for self-esteem. Right. So everything you're doing to help them do better in school, because they've said, I'm struggling at, is going to help their self-esteem. Other than the obvious of hugging and saying, I love you. But look, every almost every teen that has taken their own life knew their parents loved them. Yeah. They heard, I love you. There wasn't an abuse situation going on like that, like you would think of, or the chat, the parents were busy and things were happening and the kids felt love. They just felt isolated, abandoned in a black hole. And it wasn't going to get better today or tomorrow or the next day. So they, they reached the why bother stage. Right. You're not going to miss me anyway stage. Right. So work on self-esteem early and often. Yeah. And, and I think you, you made a good point too. I mean, it's sometimes the messages we even state say, you know, well, mm -hmm. I don't remember math past grade three. And so that relevance piece, but, but I think even just the little things, I talk a lot about the parent traps that we fall into about the, oh, slow down. You're going too fast. You're too high. We're always telling them you can't handle it. You need me to protect over you, right? And so some of that helicopter sort of parenting, but we're never giving them the mm. opportunity to try things themselves and just stretch out of their comfort zone. And that's where confidence and resilience and all of those things live. And so I think that that's really important. Um, and yeah, this is hard. Acknowledging that we can validate that. So what are you going to do to get through it, right? That's so the, the, the confidence that you're you're going to do it anyways, even though I, I get that it's hard, but I know that you've got it, what it takes to be successful. I was on a team panel not too long ago. So I here I was, I was talking about from a brighter day, talking to teens. The room was filled with teens, maybe a hundred teens in a room. And the question came up about what we're talking about with parents talking to teens. And we had a teen complain that their parent never asked them about their day. It's like they don't care. And so we worked on to the whole room. I did a quick five-minute workshop on how to educate your parents how to ask you the right questions. 
Hmm. We forget about this. You're not born with all these great parenting skills. You got to learn them. And so, you know, when when two parents are working, and it's different, like my mother's generation, she was a stay-at-home mom. So her life, taking care of laundry, shopping, uh, preparing meals, all could primarily happen before we even got to home. But now you're getting home at 5.30. Your husband's getting home or partner's getting home at 5.30. You got quick meals you got to make. You got homework. They got two hours of homework. And there's no time to do anything anymore. So you just want to get through that. I understand it. It makes perfect sense. But you got to ask the right questions. So if I tell teens, if your parent doesn't know how to ask questions, find out about their day. Model it. Yeah. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. And and that's, I mean, a huge piece of the work that I do. Yeah. is just how, how we can communicate with them effectively. Um, What are some tools that teens and young adults can use, you know, if they're feeling stressed, anxiety, depression? So first of all, this is their enemy. Yep. You know, they're going to do all the research right here. Yep. (laughs) Excuse me. This is Social media is a highlight reel of everybody else's life, but your own. And so one, there was one Christmas that my kids came home and we live in Northern California. So a lot of people go to Hawaii or Lake Tahoe for Christmas break. And the comment I got from one of my kids was, dad, are we the only family that, that doesn't go to Hawaii or Tahoe during this time? Because that's how they felt. Mm. It's just overwhelming. So everybody's posting these pictures. Everybody feels good. Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, there are all these cute things and reels and, you know, ski boarding, snowboarding down there and all that stuff. So everybody's having a good time, but them. Yeah. It makes them feel even worse. So you've got to monitor social media somehow. Got to help them with it. Mm-hmm. They're not equipped to do that. You know, we they, barely are. <laughs> yeah. They want to be, every, like everybody has this need to be liked and social media is one of them. Mm-hmm. There's more bullying on social media than there's ever going to be in a school because it's easy to do it. There are more people, you know, we just went, my wife and I just went to Tahiti and we took pictures of Tahiti, Bora Bora and Moran. Unbelievable trip. Some of the comments that I got from other parents were not like, wow, I heard that, but well, how often are you going away now? How often are you doing this? Now, how much did that cost? Oh, wow. Veggie. They were negative comments Mm -hmm. because they're a little jealous or upset on our posts on social media. And my wife and I decided that the next time we, a few times we go away, no posts at all. Yeah. We don't need to do this. We thought it'd be neat and fun because it's such a unique adventure. And it was for most people, but for some, it wasn't. And that's how it is for teens. We're more equipped to deal with it as adults. They're definitely not equipped to deal with that. Yeah. Definitely. Well, their brain is built on rewards, not consequences, just rewards. So how many likes am I going to get? Right. And so they have to post the perfect picture, but they don't think about how everybody else is also posting just the perfect picture. And so there's that constant comparison and fear of missing out. Right. Oh, look at them. They look so happy that, you know, I wish I had friends like that, or why didn't I get invited out with that? You know, there's just always this piece going on, but they don't actually know what's really happening. It's just the picture perfect pictures that are always posted out there. And and we know that the more time that they spend on social media, the more isolated and depressed they do feel. So yeah, managing that is definitely 
tricky, tricky. I'll uh, put in the show notes um, just ways for families to create like a family media contract. Um, there's some great resources out there. That's a great idea. Yeah, I think that's important for everybody and parents to model that too. You know, it's not just kids have to put their phones away at a certain time. You know, parents need to be doing that. Well, and at dinner time, those things dinner too. also. Let's face yeah. it. Yeah. We, are, we have an umbilical cord to our phones. Mm-hmm. We just do, even as parents, as adults. Yeah. Um, I have three different sets of emails that I get from 300 plus a day. I'm always looking at emails. But if you're doing it during dinner and my head is down, I'm ignoring everybody at the table. My daughter threw a dinner for her friends in college. She said, dad, I want to throw a dinner. It was during a holiday break that she was home. She said, I want to cook. I really want to do what you do, but for my friends. And so I said, great, we'll go out. My wife and I went out. She knows what she's doing because we've been cooking together forever. And she made, she made dinner. And I, I came home and I said, so how was it? She said, terrible. I said, what happened? She said, the food was great, but people were texting the entire dinner. No one paid attention to my food. And one of the couples there, everybody, a boyfriend, girlfriend that was there. So very adult-like coupled off. They were texting each other during dinner. Oh, geez. (laughs) Not everybody else. So talking about your hair. Can you believe she's got blonde hair today or red hair or whatever color hair? Can you believe she's wearing her glasses that way? Should we tell her that they're crooked? Should we tell her they're straight? And it was nonsense. And that's the first time she experienced the negative side of what was going on. And she's, she's nine months pregnant with a baby. Let's see if she handles it any better. Yeah. Yeah. I've been good. I actually have like my daughter's in grade 11 and she has no social media at all. She has a phone that can phone text and take pictures and that's it. That's the extent of it. Nobody texts anymore. So she's, she's not even texting. I've been good, but I started from, Mm -hmm as a baby, right? I couldn't imagine trying to take it away now if she had been entrenched in it for all these years. That would be way harder for sure. My grandson is in fifth grade. He is one of the few people without an iPhone. That's fantastic. I know, but that's, so let's call it 300 kids in fifth grade, 200 kids. And he's one of five or 10 without an iPhone. Every kid is attached to their phone. Now we gave him a weight at home to deal with it and got him a pad and he can talk to all his friends on his, his iPad, but in school, he can't do it. And they have to put their phones away in school. They actually put out to put them in a basket when I get there right? with their name on it. It's just, they're too attached. Yeah. Yeah, they are. It's scary to think about. And, and we don't, I mean, they made them addicting purposely. So it is really hard to self-regulate. So, I mean, we've talked about so much and there's so much that we could continue talking about. Is there any last minute um, pieces of advice or hints, tips that our listeners should know? Yeah, so so I'm going to remind everybody, all these resources are free on our website, info. The texting, the whole thing, it's all there for them to look at, sign up for a newsletter. There are no ads, which is important. We're not trying to make money on this at all. It's a nonprofit. <clears throat> but as parents... Since most people that are listening here are professionals and parents, we're, you need to research it. I hate to say you need to because I'm I'm lecturing. <laughs> but you want to get the tools to help dig into your child's life. It's so important to do that. Find out what's ticking and why it's ticking. Because you'll, you'll come up with the right answers. You'll know what to do because your team will almost invariably tell you how they're feeling if you just ask the right questions. 
And then you could decide if on the scale of critical and something could happen to, hmm, let's deal with this and see what happens. You're going to know what to do. And don't jump the gun and don't be judgmental, but you're going to know what to do when you start hearing things. Mm-hmm. And, and that's good advice for any parent, even if they're not worried about depression or suicide. I mean, preventatively, you know, having these tools and being able to create open communication and conversations now will just make it so much easier if ever, you know, our kiddos hit a low and it, and they're inevitably going to, because all of the changes in the brain, their serotonin drops, their dopamine drops, those are the feel good chemicals in the brain. And so we want to make sure we're, you know, helping them move through that stage safely. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. It was great to have you and I will have all of your resources on the show notes as well. Carolyn, it was great being here. I thank you for what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you.